Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. So, John, here we are. I mean, summer is officially here. It is and, official. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, we've had pretty mild weather, you know, for the most part, other than a few few days. Yeah, you know, I think the average is 92, and I've just watched the weather all the time, and it's been in the 80s. I mean, been in the 80s. can't complain about that. Can't really complain about that, you no. know. And um, and then, uh, let's see, we had the U.S. Open last weekend. That yeah. was amazing to see you know, John Rahm. I, I love watching uh, the professional golfers. I DVR it, and then I can pause it, and then yeah. play it slow and watch the swing, and I'm just saying John Ron's swing kind of looks like mine. <laughs> yeah, he, actually, you're right. He does you're not right. have a backswing, and he kills the ball. He so kills I, the ball. I have if, hope. If you could just be like John Rahm, you, could, could you like, too could hit it 320 well, we yards. Have, we have the same down. name. We have the same swing. There kind you go. Of. A so, bullet. Yeah. A bullet. You know, my son-in-law plays uh, plays uh, a video uh, computer yeah. computer games with him. Yeah. Um, probably yeah. once a week or something. Wow. He has a group that, yeah. Oh, they, that's neat. They, like other professionals. Another professional golfer is my son-in-law, yeah. So he's just like, that's you know, cool. first name basis on the Hanging computer. Hanging yeah. He's not like he's like his best buddy, but he's, <laughs> yeah. he. On yeah, the computer he is. <laughs> knows him pretty well on the computer. Yeah. And he's, I told him, I said, yeah, I said, I said, you remind him that he may be number one in the world in golf, but he's not number one in the world in, in that game. In that game. He didn't <laughs> kick his butt. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So. He probably look, spends more time on the, uh, the real sport than the, the yeah, computer. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. It was a. <laughs> amazing anyway nonetheless but uh that was fun speaking of fun we got some some interesting topics here um yeah we're gonna start off here with the uh five ways scammers target the elderly um not fun but still it's important yeah it is and it happens pretty frequently as well and there's a lot of different ways they do it so you gotta be careful absolutely you do and then we're gonna follow that up with what mistakes that couples make yeah when planning this, for retirement yeah we, we cover these type of topics occasionally um some some good information on here um you know it's uh it really uh, applies to not only people going into retirement but you know even if you're young listening to this um it uh you know, some very simple advice here to uh, to make sure you're, you're you're doing or not doing in some cases, and uh, we'll we'll go into details on that in a couple minutes. Absolutely, great topics. And uh, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 26 years in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years now. It's a long time for That's both of us, man. Long we're getting, time. We're getting no old, Steve. Yeah, right. Let's let's don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. We are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. Uh, we have all the podcasts. You can go listen to some historical ones. It's kind of fun to go back and listen to the ones during the pandemic, mm. um, you know, because, uh, you know, that was a, a kind of a crazy time and we really did that for about three months so a lot of good information there and uh, also have some good tools out there on the website also have a uh, money md uh, facebook page that we put a prescription of the week out there every week yeah and do check us out on our website and you can link to us there and send us your questions we'd love to hear from you and we will cover those right here on the show all right john well, that leads us up here to our fact of the week yeah, so, you know, obviously, you know, the, the COVID world last year really, really changed uh, how we work and live. And um, before I get into the financial fact, I'll tell you just, I uh, was at a hotel recently, and um, the policy now of the hotels, and this is probably going to continue, is 
they're not coming in to clean the rooms um, during this day. Right. You know, they obviously clean it when you leave, um, but it's got to save them a tremendous amount of money. And quite frankly, you know, if you need something, you can call them and they'll bring it to you. But, you know, they're not coming into the rooms. I'm thinking that's permanent. I do, too. Yeah. I I think unless you're in a really high-end hotel, I think that's going to be permanent. I I, really do. That's right. So we really don't know, you know, obviously as difficult as as the the COVID, the pandemic was, changes happen. And so here's the financial fact, 42% of about 1,000 full-time American workers surveyed back in March of this year. So they would actually quit their jobs if the employer does not allow them to work from home permanently um, or, or they would, you know, seek you know, new employment with a company that does. So, gosh, 40 percent of people want to work at home permanently. It's a strange economy we're in coming out of this because um, we are seeing that a lot of people are are quitting their jobs. And, you know, and so we've seen a lot of unemployment shake up a shake up in employment and um and maybe this is part of it people looking for you know a different environment um and uh yeah i mean i think we learned a lot from the pandemic and that is a lot of people can work from home yeah that's right and apparently a lot of people will like to it's surprising to me that many people want to work from home yeah because you know it's hard to work from home it's just distracting you don't have the social interaction but i guess a lot of people like that yeah, it is. It's a different way, and some companies are embracing it. Some companies are, you know, requiring folks to be in the office. I mean, I think it depends on the the culture and the the type of business it is. But forty percent, you know, quitting their job—that's a big number. Um, it's a big number. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm all for it for people that can work from home, and I would even embrace that in our company. You know, for people that can work from home, but you know, some some positions just don't lend themselves to sure. that, and some people don't lend themselves to that. <laughs> <That's> right, <laughs> so, yeah. Take some discipline, that's for sure. Take some discipline. But that's an interesting fact of the week, no doubt. So very good. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is the six ways scammers target the elderly. Um, and, John, this is something we talk about, you know, uh, occasionally, you know, at least once a year. It seems like we talk about this topic. And um, this is based on an article out of Bottom Line, Inc., uh, very recently, um, Stephen Wiseman. But, John, you know, there's not much more painful than finding out that you've been the victim of a scam. And um, unfortunately, we all know elderly people who have been the victim over the past few years. At least I do. And I assume you do, too. Um, It's just very common. And uh, today with the Internet and technology, I mean, it's just really easy for scammers to kind of hide their identity and target the unsuspecting people. Um, who let their guard down. And unfortunately, a lot of times that is the elderly. Um, and scammers, they're very astute at kind of exploiting, you know, your vulnerabilities, such as, you know, grandparents loving their grandkids. And so they'll use specific tactics to target older victims. Um, according to a recent uh, survey by the FTC, um, they analyzed one and a half million fraud reports that they had received for, from consumers in a recent 12-month period and it's not surprising there were some key kind of uh, statistics that emerged from this. Um, and basically what it said was, you know, sca- scams on older people um, are a lot more common than younger people. Yeah. And that's probably no surprise. Um, so knowing the details of these senior-focused scams and frauds um, really can help older people protect themselves and help us all to support, you know, the older loved ones in our lives 
um, to avoid that. So here are some of the highlights from the report that um, we, we should take note of. Yeah, and the first one is is that uh, older victims are most often contacted over the phone versus the Internet. I mean, most people think the Internet is kind of where it happens, and there's certainly dangers online. But based on these reports uh, from the FTC, scammers actually still contact victims age 60 and up via phone uh, more than four times as often as they do other forms of contact combined. So that's a you know big number. So scammers like the phone because calling allows them to keep the pressure dialed up. If they uh, if the contact would uh, you know would be victim um, you know, looks at an email or a text, they're probably going to take a moment and pause and think about it. But scammers would prefer. Um, to, to talk to these older folks um, on the phone to put pressure on them. And they would also like to get younger victims as well. But as, as we know, you know, younger folks are typically texting their friends and they let callers leave voicemails. And uh, we all know that trying to get in touch with our kids sometimes. Yeah, we do. As well, they communicate differently. They do. They do. And so, so what should we do, you know, and what should your parents do to protect themselves um, from these type scams. And, and one of them is be more like your kids. Unfortunately, you know, if you, if you don't recognize a caller on the caller ID, then don't answer it. Let it go to voicemail. Let them leave a message. Um, you know, that's what, that's what kids do. And that's the reason why they don't, uh, get scammed as much or one of the reasons anyway. Um, but a scammer might leave a message too, but at least, you know, you'd have time to consider whether or not the scam before calling back and, and be suspicious of your phone's you know, caller ID names like government agencies or well-known corporations, you know, scammers, they often, you know, will will uh, kind of fake the uh, the caller ID. That can be faked. We mm-hmm. all know that. Yep. Um, and that's what they do. And they'll put a real common government name on there or something that you recognize. Um, and then also consider signing up for a robocall blocking service offered by your cell phone provider. You know, if you're not satisfied with... With that service, you can also try like a third-party blocking service um, that can reduce the number of automated calls. I went and checked mine recently because I've been getting these, you know, these robocalls. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm still signed up for the do not call list, you know, on my cell phone from like 15 years ago. Yeah. It's still there because um, I was able to check that out. And then also, um, I'm already signed up for call blocker with Verizon mm-hmm. and uh Unfortunately, it's not, not working because I'm still getting these <laughs> robocalls. So, you know, so you may want to try one of these third-party callers. Um, but, yeah, that's one of the things. You just want to make sure you don't answer the phone in the first place. But then scammers also take advantage of, of grandparents, you know, love for their grandchildren um, is one of the common scams for people 60 and older. Um, they're three times more likely than a younger person to lose money to these so-called family, friend, imposter scams. Um, so even if you've heard about this scam before, it's easy to get caught off guard and fall for it. So it's it's wise to review what to do when you get one of these calls or, or end up talking to one of these people. Um, there are several versions of it, but when it's perpetrated on an older you know, person, it usually works something like this. Yeah, so the grandparent uh, may receive a call um, that one of the um, grandkids is in a difficult situation, really needs money. Sometimes a grandchild is said to be in the hospital uh, too badly injured to speak on the phone. Other times the grandchild may be in jail, sometimes in a foreign jail, maybe on a spring break trip and, um, you know, to Cancun and something that's gone wrong and the parents can't be reached. And, you know, the grandparent is the grandchild's, you know, last hope. And in fact, the grandchild's fine, but the concerned grandparent, you know, sometimes convinced to send money before they learn 
you know, more about the situation. And the scammer's uh, presumption is that the grandparents feel responsible for the grandkids. And I think that's a good assumption most of the time. Um, and uh, most of the time, the grandparents wouldn't know exactly where the grandkids are. So they can't can't spot an issue with what they're being told. And they get a little confused and concerned. And that's how you know, a lot of the money leaves. Right, right. So what do you do when you, you know, or what do you tell your parents to do if they come in that situation? Well, if somebody claims that your grandchild needs cash, you know, first step is refuse to be rushed. Demand a callback name and phone number and then hang up and then try to reach your grandchild or your, your, your you know, his parents to determine whether the call is legitimate. Um, and if the caller refuses to give you a callback number, then you have to assume it's a scam. Um you know, and if the caller claims to represent a particular hospital or police department, I mean, look up that organization's actual phone number, you know, and call that organization directly and ask to speak with the name of the person you were given. Um, you know, but don't be swayed by the fact that a caller knows a few details about your grandchild, such as their nickname and where they went to school or, you know, what the, where they're spending spring break. I mean, scammers, they'll often glean a little bit of information like that from social media websites and elsewhere, and they'll use that as part of their scam. So, you know, that's what you need to do if you get one of those calls. Um, but scammers are, are increasingly asking for gift cards. Um, historically, scammers have tried to get victims to send money via you know wire transfer, credit card, checks, or cash. And that still happens occasionally. But, you know, these days, gift cards are kind of the preferred plunder um, in 23% of all scams reported for those that are 60 and older. They're asking for gift cards. So gift cards are easy for scammers to convert to cash, but they're very difficult for victims to cancel um, once the card and its identifying numbers have been provided. Um, so it's kind of a, a you know undoable thing. You know, once you give out, once you buy gift cards and give those out, the, the numbers out. Um, so what do you do? So if anyone other, if anyone other than a retailer tells you that gift cards are their preferred method of payment. Um, you know, there is a better than not chance that they're be, they're being scammed. So you just need to hang up. It's the bottom line. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't talk to them. That's in it. any of these cases. Exactly. <laughs> Another one here is timeshares, and uh, timeshares can be difficult, if not impossible, to resell. It's probably difficult to even give away. I, I think. Yeah. And you know, some scammers take advantage of this challenge by offering to help timeshare owners sell their properties. And in reality, these scammers pocket payments from, uh, you know, owners who are trying to get rid of this and they do little or nothing to help them. So older people are, are far more likely to be targeted with this scam than younger people. Um, you know, they're often the ones with the timeshares to sell. So what to do is, you know, never work with a timeshare resale service that demands payment from you before the sale is finalized and uh, only use a reputable timeshare reseller or an exit company, um, you can check out timeshareexitcompanies.com to get a list of uh, you know timeshare exit companies that are that are legit and have a good rating. Yeah, that's exactly right. Another one here is tech supported tech support scams um, that are especially target seniors. Um, in fact, we had somebody in our family that was that was uh, uh, targeted mm. with this yep. um, recently. But anyway, a victim receives a phone call from someone claiming to be, you know, a tech support person from a well-known company, you know, like Microsoft or Apple or something like that. And, you know, come up on the caller ID. And, um, you know, as I mentioned before, they can be fake. They can fake the caller ID. 
And so this imposter phone rep, he um, he has an identify he's identified a problem with your computer. They'll say, um, and they say that they can help. Or in a different version of it, a, a message will pop up on your actual computer screen claiming that the computer has a problem and that an owner needs to call a number for help. Um, so in either one of these scams, you know, the victim might be asked to pay for tech support um, to provide personal information that can be used for ID theft or to take steps to kind of give this per tech support worker remote access to the person's computer, which kind of hands the whole control of the machine over to a stranger, which is what happened in our family's case. Um, so you just got to be careful about that. Yeah, I mean, tech support people don't call you out of the blue, you know. <laughs> so don't, and you know, don't don't call a number. It just pops up on your screen. If it looks like your computer is telling you to call somebody, that's, that's probably some kind of scam on your uh, on your machine of virus. Yeah, so you, it basically, you know, what to do, ignore the call, the pop-ups, um, claiming to be from the tech support. I mean, legitimate tech support does not call unprompted or send pop-up messages asking you to call. So, uh, you know, if this pop-up message can't be easily closed, then try closing the uh, internet browser, or maybe you have to turn off your, uh, your computer completely. So uh, you also want to get a good security program, uh, like a, a malware bytes, which is free, and keep that up to date. So if you, you know, believe that there might be an actual problem with your computer, you know, maybe you have a tech-savvy loved one that can help you, or you can take it to a uh, local computer shop to take a look at it, because that, that's a big one. I've seen that a lot and have heard a lot of people getting scammed on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, in this past year, also, there have been a lot of coronavirus scams that have appeared, and, and many of those targeting seniors, like cruise line refund scams where, you know, they'll call or email and ask for cruise customers to provide bank or credit card information to process refunds from canceled cruises. You know, so these scams are constantly changing and taking advantage of the current situation or hot issue. Um, but these new scams, they kind of all have the same thread of deception, fundamental plea for information that they're trying to get from you. Um, so just be vigilant, you know, to watch for these new scams. Don't give out information to anyone over the phone without questioning whether this could be a scam. And, uh, you know, always get their contact information so you can call back, you know, and, and don't 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 accept calls. Don't give it out to somebody that calls you. Um, so and just be skeptical, you know, and always verify the person by looking them up or calling them back on your terms. So look up the organization or call customer service number instead of the number that the supposed tech service person gave you to call. Um, so just, you know, they're out there. The scams yep. never stop, and uh, particularly for the elderly. So It's amazing how companies are also getting. You see that they're being held ransom. I mean, that's happened uh, yeah. with the fuel recently locally. I think meat, a meat uh, company is like, yeah, that's, uh, they're everywhere. That's a really scary thing when they can take over your computer. So it's yeah. just you got to... Update your passwords, you know, yep. and, and use Be diligent. use different authentication, you know, three-factor you know, authentication as well. Sure. So, good point. All right, well, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question we get, uh, gosh, really all the time from folks. Uh, how much do I really need in an emergency fund? And it's a very personal number. I mean, industry-wise, we would tell you three to six months. That's what Dave Ramsey recommends. That's a good number, uh, three yep. to six months uh, emergency fund. Um, you know, we see uh, sometimes folks having, you know, six years in an emergency yeah. fund. That's, that's I've prob seen, 
probably a little bit much. A so, little bit much. So what, what we recommend is de- define what's a good number. I'll give you an example. I had someone that came in recently that had $90,000 in, in cash, and their emergency fund target was twenty five to 30000 So we ended up with a 50000 number for their emergency fund, higher than the three to six months, but something they were comfortable with, and that other forty could then go towards right. other priorities. So it's a personal number. Right. It is a personal number. Um, yeah, I think six months is a really good number. Um, you know, and it can be three months if your income is more secure, you know, like you're retired and you're getting a pension and you're getting Social Security. You know, those are pretty secure, right? Yeah. Um, so you could you could probably ratchet it down to three months in that case. But if your income is less secure and you're working and you have a job that, you know, might not be as stable, then certainly six months might make more sense for you. So um, you just can need to be be careful and just be in that range. And, and But having too much is also a problem because it just it's money sitting around that yeah. could be earning, could be could be working for you. It's actually losing money, right, with yeah. inflation from yeah, a purchasing if power. If it's sitting in your savings account, which is where most emergency funds probably should be, um, or at least, you know, something that's stable and liquid, um, then, you know, yeah, it's probably only earning, you know, a quarter of a percent at, yeah. at most, unfortunately. So. All right, good topic. And that takes us to our next topic, and that is um, five mistakes that couples make when planning for retirement. Yeah, this is from the AARP, uh, Patricia Amend. And, um, you know, Steve, people look forward to retirement for decades. It's, you know, a chance to slow down the pace and you know, live live maybe in a different place, see, uh, do some traveling, spend, spend time with kids and grandkids. But if your spouse or partner has a different vision and if you don't agree on financial issues, or even avoid them completely, then conflicts are, are going to happen. So left unattended, you know, these problems may become so serious that they actually threaten your relationship. And there was a survey done recently by Bankrate.com of a thousand individuals, and it showed about half of them were married or living with a partner that admitted to having such fights. And uh, most involved spending habits or maybe dishonesty with uh, about money, or maybe just a lack of, of an agreement on who sh- who should handle the finances. Um, you know, or financial priorities. And TD Ameritrade actually did a study in 2018 that found about 41% of divorced Gen Xers and about 29% of divorced boomers said they ended their marriage due to disagreements about money. So, yeah. you know, this is, a, this is a big deal. And we see it, gosh, uh, <laughs> sometimes it. uncomfortable when you get into a conversation <laughs> with a couple and they look at each other like, yeah. what did you just say? Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> It you know? is. I, I was going to ask you if you've seen some of those situations, because oh, yes. I certainly have, you know, where you, yeah. you you start asking a topic like, well, how much do you guys spend, you know, or, <laughs> you know, what's the plan for this money, you know, and you recognize immediately that yeah. they have not talked about it at all. Yeah. And all of a sudden the room gets very Quiet. heated, yep. you know, and you're like, you want to change the subject yeah. and be like, okay, well, yeah, I get it. You know, 5,000 a month. Okay. You're good. Yeah. You know, and yeah. You want to move on, and it's just you could tell. Oh my goodness, I have opened a can of, of worms, worms here. Yes. Yeah, those questions can is, be tough sometimes. It can be. So by all means, do talk about money. You know, and that's number one here. Not talking about money on the list. Um, that's the first mistake. Yeah, experts agree that talking through money issues carefully will give you a better chance of clearing up the misconceptions and keep your relationship on solid ground. And uh, you know, you may think you're in in agreement, but the opposite may be true. And yeah, you don't want that to come out in a meeting yeah. <laughs> with your advisor, as it sometimes does. <laughs> but couples, uh, yeah, they can often differ when it comes to deciding on how to spend extra money. Um, 
you know, sometimes a spouse who wasn't the primary breadwinner, you know, doesn't speak up. And, um, you know, we try to help by asking some open-ended questions and making sure that both spouses give some input, you know, and are both on the same page. But fairly often, you know, one spouse is surprised to hear an answer from the other, um, you know, since it's never come up in their conversation at home. And, and that can be a problem. I mean, it can yeah. it can erupt. So we try to you want to have those conversations routinely, I think, you know, every month talking about money. Yeah. And I can usually pick up on like signs, you know, when when one is one spouse is being really quiet and, you know, yep. you have to involve and engage. And sometimes it is difficult, but you know, talking about, it. and that's part of what our role is, is to get things out on the table and make sure we're people on the same page uh, with the planning piece of it. So that's, that's a good one. Not talking about money is one of the biggest mistakes. Another one is not sharing details. You know, confusion uh, often occurs when bill paying um, spouse does not tell the other spouse uh, how they're handling the payments. And it can be a nightmare when the non-bill bill paying spouse actually has to take over in the case of a, of a death of a spouse. So Sometimes the spouse has no idea about the couple's finances, and then you know, upon the, the death or disability um, of the other uh, spouse, they have to learn really quickly, and, and putting that puzzle together is extremely difficult. So you want to make sure your, your spouse uh, understands your, your financial situation, that you have it documented. We actually have on our website, moneymd.net, a form that you can go and fill out, and it has you know institution and location and phone numbers and account numbers and so forth that you can fill out. And it's just kind of a roadmap for your spouse and your family as well. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good one. The next one here, though, is not agreeing on an investment strategy. And we, we see this a lot too, John. <laughs> you know? um, so, you know, just as it can be hard to agree on a new, you know, paint color for the living room, <laughs> you know, those are the easy things. Couples may also differ on how to invest their, their portfolio. Um and so, you know, it helps to kind of have a dialogue about the overall plan and, you know, kind of what your goals are long term uh, and put all that into context because, yeah, I mean, you got to have this question. You got to have this consensus. You got to have this dialogue about what risk level you want to have. And we find that couples oftentimes haven't had that conversation before they sit down and they're, they're opening a portfolio, you know, open an account. Um, so you, you want to have that conversation and, um, you know, and, and talk about it whenever you're doing the planning, whenever you're opening accounts, um, make sure you're on the same page, come to some kind of, some kind of consensus, some kind of, uh, compromise. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, sometimes hurt, you know, I find that one spouse's accounts are going to be more conservative than the others. Right. Um, they oftentimes aren't at the same risk level. Yeah, that's right. I'm just making sure it ties into the time horizon and risk tolerance. I mean, that's really the, the takeaway on that to, to make sure you're going to be able to have money for a very long time. Uh, another issue that comes up, Steve, is helping the next generation or not. And, you know, um, the question of family, one partner, you know, doesn't want to help the children or grandchildren as much as the other one. This this can be a really thorny, uh, you know, issue. Um, you know, both retirees, you got to look at your income and make sure your assets are going to last for both people. And if there's money at the second death and you can take care of the next generation. So, you know, spouses may, may disagree, you know, what's to be done when their funds, um, you know, when they do pass away, but it really is important to, when you're living that you make sure that you take care of yourself and your spouse. Um, and if you have additional money, you can also help, you know, your kids and your grandkids, but just, it goes kind of go back, goes back to talking and making sure that's tied in with the plan as well. 
Exactly. Yeah. And another mistake people make, um, the last one here is accepting the effects of aging. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty of that, John. I'm yeah. not going to accept those effects. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to, trying to back these effects up. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so here's a scenario. Um, the husband or their wife, they exhibit dementia and, um, the healthier spouse takes care of the other rather than considering assisted living. But, you know, the healthy spouse dies first, and then the surviving spouse unable to handle things. I mean, eventually one of the children, you know, have to kind of take responsibility for caring for the surviving parent, um, you know, or the children may make a, a group decision, you know, to place the parent in a facility. Um, so having those frank discussions with your children and planning for care and life later, you know, is important to kind of avoid discard discord. And, and so you just want to make sure that you have a plan in place um, in these events um, because, yeah, I mean, you know, the aging process is real and it's inevitable. Yeah, that's right. And so the, the takeaway from this is, you know, working as a team uh, with spouses, um, you know, that a lot of times includes financial advisors. That's part of our role is to have these tough conversations sometimes and, and eventually involving, you know, kids uh, and, and even grandkids into, into those discussions to make sure everyone's on the same page and, and understands. I mean, I think, for a lot of families, money is a ta taboo topic, and it, it shouldn't be. Uh, you don't have to go into amounts and things like that, but certainly talking about wishes and how where things are is you're doing your family a, a service um, by providing that information, and um, it's a chance to educate them as well. Absolutely, yeah. So have those important conversations with your loved ones. And uh, that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, about 60% of people do not have wills, uh, which is, you know, surprising. And sometimes they're they're out of date and they haven't been uh, updated for, for 20 or 25 years. So uh, go get a will. We've got great attorneys in the area. They'll, they'll sit down with you. It's a couple hundred bucks. Uh, depends on how complicated it is. Um, but it's a way to disperse your, your assets. And also, if you have young kids, you can um, you know, assign a custodian to them. So make right. sure if you have don't have that and you're listening to this, you got to get it. We've seen people not having wills, and it's just, I mean, the, the chaos after the death is, is uh, it's tough. It really right. is. Right. And just doing estate planning in general, I think, is really important. And, you know, you mentioned a couple hundred dollars. That's like for a simple will, but it certainly can be sure. thousands for trust and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you just, you got to get it done, though. It's too important. Um, you got to make sure your money goes where you want it to go, and it goes expeditiously, avoids probate, um, if at all possible, and uh, just get your account, get your estate set up so that you know your money is going to go where you want it, and it's going to do it in a timely fashion, and the people you care about are going to be taken care of as best they can with, with what you've worked your whole life for. Yep. So, good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, or send us your questions. You can email us or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.